Jesus, my Savior, he's alive. I said, he's alive. Up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose, the victor of the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. If that's you, let heaven and hell and earth between know that you are cleansed, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are Holy Ghost filled and water baptized. You are right with your God for all time. Jesus, your Savior, is alive. Give him one more glory and I'll try to preach a little bit. And she just had to throw that, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't believe in eternal security, but I also don't believe in unconditional insecurity. My Bible tells me I am engraven on the palm of his hand. Hallelujah. He's forever married to the backslider. You say, well, I walked away from God. Yeah, but he chased you down. I said, he leave the 99 and come looking for the one. And don't look now, you it. I dare you to tell your neighbor, you it. All right, shout one time behind that muzzle. It's so good to see you. Uh, you can be seated. Last Wednesday night, my great God, did we have a time. And uh, don't miss it. Don't miss it. The last letter, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are that generation destined for experiential manifestation, revelation in the glory of God. That's us. The glory of God, the manifested tangibility of God. The anointing is tangible. Therefore, it is transferable. That means if you get around it, it'll get on you. It's like wet and water. You can't have one without the other. Are you glad for the anointing? Yoke destroying, burden, rem burden removing, anointing. Blessed be God forever. I want to talk a little bit today from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Find it. I've been telling you, read the book of Romans at least once a day. At least once a day. We are right now in the middle of Rosh Hashanah. What? I said we are in the middle of Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah will end when the sun lowers over that blue meridian tonight. And we will enter 10 days of awe, 10 days of introspection, 10 days of consecration. Not, not that we made up, <clears throat> you know, churches all the time, well, we are going on this fast or we're going, and that's fine. 
<clears throat> but there are three seasons that God said you must not, you will not, you cannot miss what I want to do for you in those seasons. The first two in the beginning of the year, in the spring of the year, Passover, Pesach, and then uh, 50 days later, Pentecost. Blessed be God. And then a long separation of time, which symbolizes to us, of course, that period of time when we're waiting on the third fulfillment. Both, both, both Pesach, Passover, and Pentecost have been historically fulfilled. Of course, Passover was fulfilled when he hang on that angry, mean, biting beam called Calvary, there gave his life for you and me. Then 50 days later, when the Holy Ghost was released, not just into the upper room, but to the whole house, and from the 120 in the house, within 40 years, the entire world had been evangelized with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The entire Roman Empire had been preached to. Paul said, the whole world has been turned upside down. But then it's all the way from springtime till fall of the year when we celebrate tabernacles. Tabernacles has yet to be historically fulfilled, but we do know when it will be fulfilled. Now for you theologians and those of you of exegetical persuasion, which does mainly exes Jesus out. Anyway, if, if some of you know what I'm talking about. If, if there's a large separation of time in the three feasts, it would stand to reason there's a large separation of time in the natural realm having to do with the prophetic things of God. So we have seen that there was Calvary, the resurrection, 50 days later, Pentecost, and we've been waiting on tabernacles. Now the devil will make more mischief during this season of the year than any other time on God's celestial calendar. God does not pay attention to your Gregorian calendar thought up by the Greeks and the Romans. He pays attention to his celestial calendar. It is a lunar calendar. It is based on the movements of the moon. It's very simple. So now it's been a very long, long time since that day of Pentecost in Jerusalem when they appeared unto them, cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Ghost gave them utterance. That's a horrible translation. It actually should be rendered. And they began to express their original selves. When you're speaking in other tongues, you are not speaking to men. You are building yourself up in your most holy faith in a language that your adversary cannot interpret. Do you understand? 
And so you're expressing your original self before the fall. That's the man, that's the woman that is speaking up out of you when you're praying in other tongues. It is unbound, unfettered, unhindered by anything in the natural realm, including your mind where doubt tends to rule. I don't know if I'm helping anybody. This is all free. I'm just telling you where we are. Today is Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. And what it should mean for you is a brand new beginning. When the sun goes down tonight, your past is canceled. I'm just telling you, your past is canceled. Now then, I'm, I'm quickly going through this. The Feast of Tabernacles is a threefold feast. It is actually a season. Inside tabernacles, there's the Feast of Atonement, at one the great day of atonement, the highest holy day on God's celestial calendar. You ought to kind of forget about Christmas. Jesus was born in April, not in December. Are you in the building with me? Nonetheless, nonetheless, we should be as the sons of Issachar, rightly discerning the times that we're living in and what our response to those times should be. So you should have a different response today and for the next 10 days and then on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, 10 days from today. Are you in the building? So during that this season, it begins with the Feast of Trumpets. Now your Bible says that no man knows the day nor the hour when Christ shall return. But it also says we will know the season. How many of you know fall in Ohio comes every year? It is a season. God is a God of season, a God of cycle. God's a God of intention, a God of purpose, a God of design. You didn't just end up here. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. You are right where you're supposed to be unless you're in rebellion. And that means to know the will of God and to declare back to God, I know that's your will and I refuse to do it. That's rebellion. Otherwise, would you under God relax and celebrate where you are in your life right now? Because if you have to go more than 10 minutes from where you are to have the joy of the Lord, you never will. Anyway, you're not taking this off my time, are you? So we don't know the day and the hour, but we do know the what? Season. The season, I declare to you, will be some year during tabernacles. He will faster than the fleetest hoof ever struck a pavement, faster than a wheel ever turned upon an axle. The magnificent magnitude of his perfect person will sweep out from north to south and east to west. And if you are cleansed, if you are washed, 
if you are sanctified, if you are Holy Ghost filled and water baptized, you coming out of here like a metal to magnet. Are you, it won't matter if you're five miles under the crusty surface of this people planet in a coal mine like my family was, or you're flying around at 41,000 feet at 550 miles an hour like I like to go, wherever you are, you coming out of here. I got three people ready. I need to tell some folks, you better get right or you about to be left. Look at your neighbor and say, get right or get left. We're leaving here. Hallelujah. And then, of course, there's the Day of Atonement, 10 days from now, when we celebrate that after we have repented. Give me a camera, I have to help modern preachers. First of all, lesson number one, get a Bible. Lesson number two, you're behind. Start in the last book, not the first book, because the last book's where we're living, because the last pages of the Bible read like the front pages of your news feed that, from your cell phone that you preach from. I thought I had at least half a church in here. Jesus is coming again. And by the way, I know exactly when he's coming. I know precisely when he's coming in his appearing, not his second coming, his appearing, the rapture for the dead in Christ shall rise first, but we don't rise until first. First Thessalonians chapter four, the trumpet of God shall sound. What is happening today in the realm of the spirit and among our Jewish brothers and sisters? They are blowing the shofar, the trumpet, 100 times. And one of these tabernacle season, we're gonna be like Enoch, we were and we were not. Or some of us are gonna to get to be like Elijah, take it up out of here in a whirlwind of fire. And everybody that's ready ought to be celebrating right now. Now if, aha, now if he does not return this tabernacle season, where we don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the season, if he returns does not return this tabernacle season, we are promised from Joel chapter two, seven unbelievable double portion anointings to be released in our life as a blessing from the Lord saying, y'all hold on, I'm coming soon. Are you ready? All right. I've got 10 teachings by email, by video for you for each of the 10 days of all. Don't do it now, but if you haven't signed up, those of you, millions of you, we love you so much. Last Wednesday night, we had every single state in the United States and almost 200 nations logging on live. So we love you, 
We know you're there and we want you to get those email teachings. Just go to rodparsley.com. Y'all want me to preach a little bit or not? How about we talk a little bit about scars and stripes forever, dying faith. Now, you know what faith is. Hebrews 11 tells you that faith substance things hope for the evidence of things you cannot see, which means you cannot perceive them with your sensory mechanisms. You don't see it. You don't taste it. You don't, especially if you got COVID, you don't taste it. I rebuke that damnable thing. In the name of Jesus Christ, I bind you and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ against you. You cannot come near us. You cannot touch us. We rebuke you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And somebody shout amen. All right, here we go. Romans chapter number five, verse number eight. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for you when you got right. I said he died for you when you were wrong, lost, desperate, depraved, dying, destitute, diseased, separated from God, strangers to the commonwealth of Israel, aliens to the covenants of promise. That's where he found you. And if he loved you that much then, how much do you think he loves you now? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Furthermore, we also rejoice. I'm gonna try it again. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received what? The atonement. Now in recent weeks, I've been climbing up that craggy slope of Golgotha, and there we have examined the seven illuminating statements of our suffering, sighing, crying, dying Savior. There, crucified on that angry, mean, biting beam. There to purchase your eternal salvation and mine, and not only that, but all that pertains to life and godliness. So let's just quickly review them. The first word, which is one that needs to be the headline of every news broadcast and every newspaper article. And if you're sticking signs in your yard, this is the one you ought to stick in your yard. Forgive them for they know not what they do. You don't have a right to hate anybody. The great commandment is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Watch, watch, watch. And your neighbor as yourself. Now, a lot of folks ask, well, who's my neighbor? I don't know who your neighbor is. Your neighbor may be black. Your neighbor may be white. Your neighbor may be Jewish. Your neighbor may be Hispanic. I made a whole lot of folks' eyes perk up last week because I said, your neighbor may be gay or your neighbor may be straight. Your neighbor may be Baptist or Pentecostal. 
Your neighbor may be singing on a church platform or in a bar in downtown of your city. They are still your neighbor and regardless of what they have done to you or you have perceived right, wrong, or indifferent that they have offended you. And I just need to say, I'm offended that you're offended. Stop being offended. You have no higher calling than to love your neighbor as yourself. The second word, Luke 23, 43. They are to a repentant thief. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. I spent four hours on that with you. The third word, John 19, 26 and 27. Woman, here is your son, here is your mother. The fourth word, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have I sufficiently taken you through that one? Are you sure? I don't want you to still think he forsook you or that he, our father, forsook Jesus. In order for that to happen, you'd have to divide the Trinity, which is absolutely impossible. Well, yeah, but he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not what he said. He did not speak Greek, nor did he speak Hebrew. He spoke a street level, street language Aramaic. And in Aramaic, he did not say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was not quoting Psalm 22. If he had been quoting Psalm 22, he would have quoted it in Hebrew, which he did not. He spoke Aramaic. And in his suffering, dying moment, he certainly would have gone to his base language. His base language being Aramaic lines up perfectly with all other scripture because all scripture must be interpreted in the light of all other scripture. Now, how are you going to square that God the Father walked away from his son in his moment of death and dying and then square that with he's never going to leave you or forsake you? What he actually said in Aramaic is Eli, Eli, Lamanam, Shabbatani. What he said was, for this reason, you have spared me. This is my purpose. This is my destiny. For this I was born. I was born to live and die and live again. And our Father will never, ever, ever forsake you in your happiest moment or on your saddest day. He is closer than a brother, sticking close beside you, never to leave you, never to forsake you. And for that, you ought to give him glory. My great God, I got to hurry. The fifth word, I thirst. Now that's a strange one for you. Living water is dying of thirst. I remember another time when he spoke to a person when he was thirsty. A woman at a well in Samaria 
Her life had been wasted. Her life had been spoiled. Too many men. Like to get some Valor students' attention. Too many men in her life. And Jesus gave one of the greatest lessons of wisdom in the entirety of your 1,166 page Bible. He said to that woman, if you had known who it was that asked you for a drink, if you had known, our problem is we know about, we do not know him. If you had known, you would have had a response. You would have asked and he would have given. If you know him, you can ask and he will give. That's the reason he said, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be opened unto you. I don't know where we found a God that does not answer prayer. All I can find is a God that says, call unto me and I will answer thee and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. The sixth word, he cried again. I want everybody behind that mass to shout again. He cried again. The first time he cried was when he said, Eli, Eli, Lamanum, Shabbatani. But your Bible says that he cried again. And he did not cry a whimpering cry. Your Bible said he cried again with a loud voice. Some folks ask a lot, why does the harv have to be so loud? Well, we're getting ready for heaven. If you've got a picture in your mind of sitting by some flowing brook and dabbing your feet in the cool, clear water, you are really boring. Well, I, I'll rest. When I, you don't need to rest. You won't be tired. <laughs> I said, you won't need to rest. You won't be tired. You're going to be leaping like a heart over the everlasting hills of God's glory to suffer no more, sigh no more, cry no more, die no more. He cried with a loud voice. In immediate proximity to the throne of the Almighty God, with the Lord Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of power, there are 400 billion cherubim. They are at a minimum of 12 feet tall and they have a minimum of four faces each. Each one with a mouth. And your Bible said that all 400 million of them are shouting with a loud voice, Hallelujah, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. If you don't like it loud, you're not gonna like heaven. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He's not talking there about lost people. He's talking about what was lost out of heaven and what was lost out of heaven when Lucifer fell from heaven like lightning and a third of the angelic host with him. Lucifer was the choir leader. He was the band director. He was the psalmist. And those that rebelled with him were likewise. So a third of the praise and the shouting and the rejoicing of heaven left. But Jesus came to pay the price to buy you back so that your praise would be received. 
I got to hurry. Say he cried with a loud voice. Say it again. He cried with a loud voice. Here's what it said. It is finished. What it is. What is it? It is finished. What is finished? What does that mean? I get so weary with people that just read the Bible. You, you can't read the Bible. You have to read the Bible. What has happened right here is a corner has been turned, a goal has been reached, a mountain has been climbed, an ocean has been crossed. Something has happened that has never happened before. A foe has been conquered. A victory has been won. A king has been crowned. The sun begins its fiery plunge into the Mediterranean, there to be extinguished for another night. The Jewish Sabbath, the Shabbat, begins at sundown, and it is rapidly, rapidly approaching. So he cries again with a loud, loud voice. This is heaven's sign that after all of his pain, after all of his suffering, his life is still whole and strong within him. The voice of dying men is a voice which is the first physical attribute which begins to fail. With panting breath, with faltering tongue, at the bedside of the dying, a few broken words may be spoken and they are even more difficult to be heard, but not Jesus. Our crucified conquering king, just before he drew his final breath, spoke with all the forcefulness of a man in his full strength, thereby manifesting his mighty power above that of only a man to prove that his life was not forced nor taken from him, but that he of his own volition, of his own will, freely delivered up his life by his own self-determination into the hands of his father. He still possessed uncommon strength to cry out in that moment with a loud voice while he was wasted on that rail. May I say, even beyond the strength to shout, he still possessed the power, even in his depleted and dying condition, to call 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could release himself from the arrest he was under and have bid defiance and defeat to the powers of death. He determined to show forth the mighty power that he possessed by the eternal spirit of God by which he offered himself, being both priest and sacrifice. By that loud, shouted, glorious voice, 
He attacked every one of our spiritual adversaries. He did it with undaunted courage. Such uncommon bravery shows him hearty in his cause and daring in the encounter. He was spoiling principalities and powers while shouting triumphantly as one mighty to save. Isaiah 63 verse 1. He laid down his life, shouting, not whimpering, with a loud voice. And that demonstrates alone and demands that his death should be published and proclaimed to the world and making all humanity obliged to take notice of it. Calvary must not, will not, cannot be ignored. My question to you is, what will you do with the bleeding Christ of Calvary? Our expiring Savior summons his last ounce of remaining strength to rise and speak but one more time. John, the gospel writer and the writer of the great book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, here chooses but one Greek word. Everybody say one. The accounting term is tetelestai. I have it right here. I wear it virtually every day. Tetelestai. One word. Here once again, the translators of your wonderful 1611 King James Version grossly miss the importance of what John had actually said. This is an exclamation of the very Godhead itself, three in one. Now English translations mess the whole thing up. They give no no reality that this one word had to satisfy the demand of cosmic justice. So they translate it, it is finished. Three words for one. But tetelestai does not merely mean that something has ended, that something has concluded, that something has stopped. No, sir. No, ma'am. It is a mighty declaration that everything has been accomplished. Everything lacking has now been supplied. The debt has been satisfied. Shalom. Nothing broken. Nothing missing. Nothing lacking. God himself condescended to fallen man and was willingly bolted to that hostile and hateful tree. He wails and then slowly, very slowly, in victorious humility, he bows his thorn-pierced brow. There's nothing left to do now but exhale one final prayer 
Luke 23, 46. Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. This, this may be the greatest understated declaration of all time. It gives little interpretation to what actually was happening in that moment. He was not deity humanized, nor was he deity humanized. He was all God, he was all man. He had never known death. He was before all things. Your Bible said he came from T-men, from nowhere and no place. Where would he come from? He fills all in all. He is, here's why he could never leave you. He is that eternal spirit. He is now with that eternal spirit facing death to cause to cease to be as though it had never existed. For this purpose, was the Son of Man manifested, that he might annihilate, that he might destroy, that he might cause to cease to be, as though it never existed, the works of hell. And the greatest of these, the very last foe to be conquered, death. And in that moment, these final words are a direct mirror of the first recorded words that he spoke in your Bible. His mother Mary had told Luke the physician about a Passover 21 years ago. When two frantic parents discovered the boy Jesus missing somewhere in Jerusalem. They finally found him three days later. They found him three days later sitting in the temple dazzling all the scribes and the Pharisees with his wisdom. Mary, Mary took him aside and summarily scolded him for putting Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his father, through such an ordeal. But Jesus thought, well, I don't know what you got your dander all up about. I would have thought you would have known where I was all along. And then he said, did you not know that I was about my father's business? When the Christ of Calvary reached the adult age of 30, he 
laid his hand to the plow of his father's work in earnest. Now, three and a half years later, on this day of suffering in the shadow of that very same temple, he's been about his father's business one more time. The business of restoring a lost, falling, hurting, desperate, depraved, dying, destitute, diseased human person and restoring them into fellowship with God. Now let's remember, he's doing that for people who had offended him, who had insulted him, who had betrayed him, who had beaten him without mercy. They had abandoned him. But now, on that cross, the son's portion of the father's business has now been completed. The next step, bringing him back from the dead is the father's business and his alone. The son could still choose not to submit himself to death's domain, Jesus must of his own human free will agree to die. Otherwise, we'd have nothing but a murdered sacrifice. God would forever be branded a liar and sin would rule the crazed hearts of humanity forever. Hmm. Death had neither the power nor the authority to take him against his will. He is in this moment expressing the greatest degree of faith available to the human family. He's not expressing living faith. He's expressing dying faith. Do you have dying faith? Do you possess the ability to stare down death and declare, as did Dwight L. Moody, this is my coronation day? Faith, steadfast confidence, trust, and assurance that God was who he said he was and would and could do what he said he would and could do. Faith in his father saying, if I choose to surrender myself to death's icy embrace, I am trusting you not to leave me in its venomous grasp because a thousand years ago, David prophetically saw a stone-sealed tomb and wrote Psalm 1610, for you will not leave my soul in hell, nor will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. You will not leave me in that tomb because Paul will need to write in Romans 8:11. but if the spirit that raised up 
up Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal body and by his spirit make you alive. Father, Father, says the dying son, I have complete and overwhelming confidence that you will not leave me in that cold, dank, dark tomb because 50 days from today, Simon Peter will preach the first Holy Ghost-possessed sermon of all time. He will say, you men of Israel, hear these words. A man attested by God, by signs and wonders and miracles, you have taken by lawless hands. You have crucified and put to death whom God raised up because it was not possible that death should hold him, even here. Even here. Even here at Golgotha among the sights and sounds of suffering flesh and dying shame, he is still with his last breath about his father's business. He dies praying into your hands. I commit my spirit. Two minutes. Matthew, John chapter 11. Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem. It was about 15 furlongs off. Many of the Jews came for the comfort. Mary and Martha concerning their brother Lazarus who had died. And Martha, as soon as she knew that Jesus was coming, she ran out to meet him. But Mary, she sat still in the house. And Martha said to him, Lord, if you had just been here, our brother would not have died. Nevertheless, whatsoever you shall ask him, even now he will give it thee. Jesus saith to her, thy brother shall rise again. And she said, I don't just read the Bible, sir. I read the Bible. I know that he shall rise again at the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, oh, oh, hold on now. I am the resurrection. I am the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And fastening those Galilean eyes upon her, he said, do you believe this? Hmm? At the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary for to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. You know what sitting is? A contented posture. Where you sit, you intend to stay. He rolled the stone back from the door, and he sat down upon it. 
His countenance was like lightning. His raiment was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and fell as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto them, Fear not ye, I know whom you seek. Jesus, who was crucified, he is not here. He is risen as he said. Come on, I'll show you where he was. Listen, that damned world out there will not argue with you that Jesus came. They will not argue with you that he was born in a manger. They won't even argue with you that he was crucified. Where they will draw the line on you is that he did not resurrect from the dead. Romans chapter one, and I'm going to quit. I'm not finished, but I'm going to quit. Romans chapter one. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Leave it there. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection of the dead. Declared to be. Set forth with profound effect upon the horizon as the son of God. The horizon may be the end of my ability to see, but it is not the end of the essential fact. Otherwise, we would still be afraid of falling off the edge of the world if we could travel in a sailing ship. He was horizoned. He was set forth on the other side by the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection is the apex of our hope in God. It is the crown jewel of our faith. It is the validation of every claim ever made by Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is the unanswerable demonstration of the profoundest fact concerning him. Because of it, we could stand him on the platform beside Krishna and Mohammed and Buddha. A sorry spectacle over which the angels of heaven would bow their heads and weep. He is not here. I've had the privilege of going to the tomb of the great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I've stood there. I've prayed there. I've had the honor many times of doing television at the eternal flame of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. What an honor. Both conspicuous because of who is there but have also been just out the city gates of Jerusalem, up on the top of that 
skull-shaped little hill. Just down from Golgotha, there's a garden. Inside that garden, there's a tomb. I've been there too. I've gone inside. It is not conspicuous of who is there. It is conspicuous because he is no longer there. He's alive. I am washed. I am cleansed. I am sanctified. I'm Holy Ghost filled. And I'm water baptized. And because of his resurrection, I am right with my God for all time. Because Jesus, my Savior, he's alive. Stand with me. Stand with me. Come on, stand with me. Uh, well, I had a lot more, but I'll stop. My question to you is a simple one. Every head bowed, every eye closed. My question to you is a very, very simple one. Are you washed? Are you cleansed? Are you Holy Ghost filled? Have you been water baptized? Are you right with your God? You can be for all time. For one reason, Jesus, our Savior, he's alive. Now that Bible says that tomorrow's promised to no one. That today is the day of salvation. Harden not your heart as in the day of provocation. For there is that moment when God's Spirit will no longer strive, no longer plead, no longer lead you to that cross. But He's calling now. He's calling softly and tenderly or He's shouting with a loud voice and He's saying, come. Come to me, you're weary, you're heavy laden. I'll give you rest in this world where you need it. I'll give you hope beyond the scope of human limitation. On the other side of the horizon of death, Jesus resurrected, says, come on, I've made a way for you. Are you ready? Right now, I want you to choose God and not Satan, life and not death, blessing and not cursing, heaven and not hell. You say, preacher, you're trying to scare me. I would to God I could scare you. 
But it's not fear of the Lord that brings people to repentance. But the unanswerable demonstration of his love toward you, that while you were yet sinners, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. All you have to do is accept. Open up your heart now and believe, and he'll give you heaven to go to heaven in right now. Pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you today. I was born a sinner. I've committed sins. My sin has separated me from you. But today, I've heard good news. I've heard the gospel that you gave your life for me and that you were resurrected to give me eternal life. I come now just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Lord Jesus, I accept you. I believe in you. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. I will live for you as you teach me how. I will follow you in water baptism. I will receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I want to be cleansed. I want to be washed. Do for me what I cannot do. Make me your child. Forgive my sins. Give me eternal life. And let me know it now. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Now act like you're alive never to die again. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.